0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And we'll read from verse 29 to 36. Before we do, I'll just give a bit of context with this passage. This is the Pentecost passage. This is the passage where the Apostle Peter gets up on a balcony and with thousands of people in front of him declares this word and, and speaks boldly in front of all these people. Um, before that, there was a fair bit of fear. They were hiding in a room. Let's read this, and then I'd like to uh, us to examine what, what had happened here. Read with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him That of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all, sorry, we all are witnesses, therefore being By the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom we have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now that's a bold speech, isn't it? Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and see what, uh, what he'd have for us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your precious word, and we thank you for the integrity of it. We thank you that we can trust every word within it, and we thank you for the faithful witnesses who recorded by the Holy Ghost, Lord, the things that you would have us to know today. So, Father, we pray that today our hearts would be open to your truth, that your spirit... <coughs> who wrote these words, Lord, would work on our hearts to help us to understand them, that you would use me for that purpose as well, that you would put your words into my mouth and that people would not see me, but Lord, that Jesus would be shown forth, that we would lift up his name today, that we would glorify him because he is our Saviour and our Lord and he is risen. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you get such a shock, where you're in such a, a terrible state that you don't know which way to go, and all of your energy has been sapped, and you are desperate. Have you ever been in that sort of situation? I've only been, I think, a couple of times in my life like that. The first time was when I was a, a young boy, and I found out my grandmother passed away. And you might think, "Oh, your grandmother!" My grandmother grew us up. I was very close to my grandmother. When I, and she had cancer. When I found out that she passed away, and I was a fairly young, young boy, um, I didn't know how to respond. Because my whole life I would lived with my grandmother. I, when, while my mum was working, um, she basically grew us up. We spent a lot of time with her. And I struggled with that. I struggled with that for a long time, although I didn't tell many people about it. It took me a while to get over that loss, and I didn't know how to react, even to react to it, because it was the first major loss of a loved one that I had in my life, and it was significant. I'm sure you've got times like that for yourselves, where something so bad happened to you, you didn't know how to respond to it, and then slowly, slowly you, you might learn to grasp what, what happened. And maybe with the support and love of, and love of other people, you manage to get through that incident. I'm sure you've got times in your life where you where you feel like that. Maybe some of you are still going through those times in your life. Love is important in those times. Love of love of family and, and friends in that support helps to bring you through those those difficulties in your life. But if you're like me, oftentimes that takes a long time, doesn't it? Losses, like you're losing close friends and families and people that 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 are close to your heart, when you lose them, it takes a long time to get over them. And love is important. But love, even sometimes you struggle to, to, to overcome those things. Here we have a situation where you've got the Apostle Peter. And just a little while before, Peter was so scared. Peter was so fearful that the one that he followed for three years of his life, he managed to deny deny three times, saying, I don't know the guy. I don't know him. Because he was scared that someone would, would take a hold of him. Yet, a little while later, we find Peter on a balcony with thousands of people in front of him, gathering all their attention, and with all the boldness that that the the Spirit of God gave him, that he speaks these words and says, this same God, this same Jesus you crucified, God has made Lord and Christ. What happened? What happened to take him from a fearful... um, person who was hiding in the darkness and to take him to this particular position in in a matter of what, was it 40 days or so? There's some, there's some answer to this. We'll answer it this way or by asking a question. If there was one event in history that displayed the love of God, what would it be? If you, if you could go back and you, you think of all the Bible stories and you think of all the stuff that goes right back to the beginning of man and you think to yourself, what displayed the love of God the, mo- the clearest? Well, most people would answer the cross. Because it was on the cross that Jesus went and died and took my place, you see. He, he, he paid the penalty of my sin. I should have been there, but he did it for me. And it was the innocent for the guilty. It was the righteous for the unrighteous. It was the pure for the impure. That's love. Love is where you do something, even though that person may not deserve it. But you do it regardless. And most people would understand that the cross is the greatest symbol in the history of man that shows us how much God loves us. It was there where he died for you and me. Now Romans chapter 6 verse 23. Turn with me there for a sec. I'd like to show you something. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. Now most of you are familiar with this verse. But often from our context. Not from Christ. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Well, you know something? At the cross is where those wages were paid. The wages of sin is death. Jesus received my wages. He took it all that which was belonging to me, he took. The Bible says that now he willingly offers me salvation and eternal life as a gift. So he took all the bad stuff that was coming to me all upon himself. He took my wages only to give me the best of himself. The love of God was so great for us that he ordained, he chose that his only and perfectly innocent son would be falsely accused, whipped, beaten, publicly humiliated by cruel men before being nailed to a cross. A device that was used to execute the worst criminals. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That he that gave meant giving him for me. And in place of me. And me will always be grateful for that act of love. But if the cross demonstrates the love of God, if the cross shows me how much God actually loved me and continues to love me, what demonstrates most is power. What's a thing that in the throughout all of history that shows the great power of of God Was it when God saved his people, Israel, and he parted the Red Sea? Remember the ten plagues that he sends on Egypt so that Pharaoh would release his people? And then you have the situation where they're stuck on a beachfront and they've got nowhere to go with the armies of Egypt behind them ready to slaughter them all. And then they've got the sea in front of them and God manages to part the sea and there's two walls of water in front of them. So they're able to walk safely through and God rescues them. Is that? That's a, that'd be high up there though, wouldn't it? And maybe it was God's judgment on the world. Do you know the world had sinned so much that God chose to destroy the whole world with a flood? That's pretty powerful stuff. And he saved eight people. Put them in a little box. The whole world is covered with water and he puts eight people with some animals in a box and they float around for about a year. And God makes sure that that boat doesn't leak and they rest safely on a particular mountain. Maybe it was when Joshua stopped the sun. Did you know that? Do you know the Bible says that Joshua stopped the sun so they could finish this battle off? That's a huge thing when you think about it to stop the sun in its track meant that you either had to stop the rotation of the entire earth without people going like that. Or maybe it was the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few small fish and a few loaves of bread. That's a pretty big one too. Or maybe when he walked in the water. A lot of people know that one. No. No. It was none of those. You see, the greatest display of the power of God is when he raised Jesus from the dead. And you might think, oh, raising someone from the dead, is that like a really big deal? When you think about that, when you think about that, in the entire history of man, from Adam to now, no one has ever defeated death. Every person dies and no one comes back. Oh, sure, they might resuscitate you, when, you when, when, they've got it, when they've got those electrodes. But guess what? You die anyway. You will die soon after. No one can escape it. Yet this resurrection was once and for all. He never died again. You see, even Lazarus, who Jesus rose from the grave, had to die again. The son from the widow of uh, the from the, uh, the widow of Nain had to die again. The greatest display of the power of God was the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And why was it the greatest? Because in that miracle, the plan of God to redeem all of mankind reached its culmination. God's power displayed by raising Jesus from the grave spread that power to all of mankind who would put their faith in Christ. From today, going all the way back to Adam. This was not just an isolated incident. This was the purpose that Jesus came to the earth to defeat death and the powers of darkness. It was the event that would consign the powers of of the devil and the legions of fallen angels to defeat and to eternal judgment. It was this that demonstrated the complete and utter conquest of sin because he lived his life never to have done one sin, the only person in history never to have sinned against God, and he could defeat a death in the end. If God's power held the mighty waters of the, uh, of the Red Sea like two walls so the Israelites could pass, then the mighty hand of God raised Jesus from the grave. It is because of this resurrection that God demonstrated in very clear fashion that he accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made. If Jesus didn't rise, we could have no confidence that God accepted that sacrifice on the cross. Do you understand that? It was only because he rose that we can, we can confidently say God accepted it. And that means that all the sins of mankind, including mine and yours, and contemplate for a moment how many there are. We're paid for completely. The resurrection was a vindication of the sacrifice of Christ and God's acceptance of that sacrifice. This resurrection is what makes Christianity totally unique among the world's religions. And by it, by virtue of the fact that Jesus accomplished what no other human being ever could He stands apart from every religious leader. There is no one else like him in the world. Take all the religious leaders from the beginning till now, regardless of what religion they are or what they taught or whatever, wrap them all up together, and they didn't even do this much compared to what he did. He stands apart from every religious leader or teacher that ever walked on this earth because he alone has risen from the grave, defeating death forever. And he is now the source and the channel through which God releases his tremendous power to everyone who puts their faith in him. He's the channel of that blessing to us. Through that resurrection, God fulfilled the promises that he made. From Adam and Eve to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that he would send a saviour into the world to give life back to the world and that he might redeem the world back to him. This is the theme of the Bible. That though we see death all around us, we can have confidence because Jesus defeated death we can have full confidence. We can face death with confidence because death has no more sting for us because we know that Jesus defeated death. (laughs) And we can be confident like Job. Turn to Job chapter 19 verse 25. Job chapter 19, verse 25 to 27 says, now this is before Jesus was born, mind you. Job was one of the earliest books in the Bible that was written. And Job had this confidence, even though he was going through and went through tremendous suffering in his life, he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand on the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Whom I shall see, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and none other, though my reins be consumed within me. Now that's a confidence. Job knew that even though he would die and be put into a grave, he had utter confidence that in his flesh and with his own eyes, he would see God. Do you have that confidence today? Do you have that confidence That's the confidence that Peter had. You see, Peter went from a a, a fearful person to all of a sudden a confident person. Why? Because Jesus was living. And he encountered him. He saw him. The Bible says that he spent 40 days with them as well after he rose from the grave. Peter had so much confidence in the fact that Jesus had risen, had defeated death, that he was willing to to do anything for the Lord. And you know something? Those fearful disciples that, that scattered when Jesus was arrested and crucified, they pretty much all gave up their lives for what they believed. Now, that is not something that someone does who's not sure about what they believe. If they weren't sure that Jesus really rose from the grave or they weren't really sure about if Jesus was the man he said he was. You see, they all gave up their lives. Except John, who was imprisoned on an island. That's why Peter has such confidence. Because the power of God God showed his love through the cross But the power of God comes from the resurrection of Christ It is the resurrection that establishes our hope It is Sunday that we celebrate Do you understand why we go to church on Sundays? We don't go to church on Saturdays We don't observe the the Sabbath uh, like Like the Jews do Or we don't go to church on a Friday or any other day. We go to church on a Sunday because Jesus rose on a Sunday. That's why we meet every Sunday. We have that hope every week. We remind ourselves every week that Jesus rose from the grave. It is a resurrection that empowered the apostles to boldly preach, as Peter did, the gospel, even though they were consumed with fear and defeat when he was crucified. This sermon is about the power of God. That raised Jesus from the dead and which today can bring life to those who put their faith in him. This is the same power that can take the heart of a lost sinner and transform it into the heart of a saint. This is the reason that we meet on Sundays. This is the reason that we sing these hymns that we do, that we can come before the throne of God in prayer. This is the reason that we are so close together and our hearts break when we see people die who don't know him. The truth of Christianity is not based on some philosophy or some method or some principles. It's got nothing to do with that or some metaphysical understanding. It isn't a system. It isn't a program. It's a relationship with God himself. That God started. The death, burial and resurrection of Christ is are so crucial to our faith that if someone wanted to destroy our faith, it would be very easy. All they'd have to do is either prove that Jesus didn't exist, prove that he wasn't really crucified, or show me his body in the grave. If they do any of those three things, then we'll shut our doors tomorrow. We'll cancel our contract with the school. We'll sell these nice comfy chairs that we've got. And we will go and do something else on a Sunday. If they prove, if they can prove that he is still dead, if they find his tomb, then we are meeting here for nothing. And the Apostle Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul, actually, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul makes a big deal about it, actually. What if the resurrection were not true? First Corinthians chapter fifteen verse thirteen. Sorry. Uh, sorry, did I say five? No, fifteen. First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse thirteen. Listen to what Paul the Apostle says here. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain. And your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are still in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have opened Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Is that clear enough for you? It doesn't mince any words here. Our preaching is vain, which means all the words I'm speaking in this microphone this morning are a waste of time. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, if there is no resurrection of the dead, Paul says we're wasting our time doing what we're doing. And I'm standing here today, wasting my time, your time, and our preaching... And what, whatever we, I'm teaching you this morning is a lie. Our faith is in vain. Our whole belief system is futile. Paul says, yeah, we have found false witnesses of God. We are false witnesses. You know what that means, a false witness? It's like going to a court of law and saying, this is the truth. This is what, this is what, what the reality is. And the Bible says we are false witnesses, liars, liars. A false witness is someone who declares something that's not true to be true. Being a false witness is simply a liar. So when Paul says that we are false witnesses if Christ did not rise from the grave, that means we are lying about what God is like, what Christ is like, what salvation is like. None of it fits together, none of it would make any sense. And he says, And if Christ be not raised, in verse 17, your faith is vain are still in your sins. You see we believe that when Jesus died on the cross he died for our sins. He took our place the blood that he shed cleanses us from all of our, our sins and stain now if that's not true then I still have a heap of sins on me and I don't know how to get rid of them I don't know where to go I don't know what to do do I have to sacrifice slams? Do I have to do something else? Do I have to climb a mountain to make it up to God? Are there penance that I have to do? Does anyone really know? No. No one has any clue. You see, every system in the world that tries to deal with sin, okay, and every religion in the world has a concept of sin—things that are wrong. For example, you can't kill someone. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't follow bad. Shouldn't follow bad principles and rules. They've all got to. They all try to work out how to deal with these things. So some prescribe that you have to sacrifice animals. Some prescribe that you have to do penance. Others prescribe you have to do good things to try to make up with your bad. But you know something? They're all the same. None of them, no, none of them can tell you with any certainty that if you do A, B, C and D, that you will go to heaven. None of them can. Except for Christianity. Except because of what Christ did on the cross. You see, because of what Christ said on the cross, once you accept that payment that's made for you, you can have every assurance you're going to heaven. Because it's not what you and I have to do, it's about what he did. And if I have confidence in who he is and what he did, the Bible says I am guaranteed a place in heaven with him. Now that makes us different to everyone else. But you take that away from me, all of a sudden I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't know where I'm going. Am I going up? Am I going down? What do I have to do? Which religion is going to be right? No. We are still in our sins. And on top of that, he says in verse 18, Then they also which have fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Which means all the people that we we love, that have put their faith in Christ, that we have confidence of one day seeing again in heaven. Don't we have that joy? That we one day see our loved ones and and people that, that we know in heaven, that we will see each other in heaven as well. Paul says, those ones that have died, gone. Perished. And he wraps it up by saying, you know, if if that's the case, if that's the case, and in this life we we have this hope in Christ, but he's not really raised from the dead, he says we are the most miserable people on this earth. Because we're hoping in a A futile thing. We're hoping in a waste. And if hope in Christ epitomises the life of a Christian, then we are religious imposters today. Have you ever had total faith in someone or something and, and were let down? Have you ever trusted someone so implicitly that you put your trust and you opened up yourself and you, you know, you risked something, you know, sometimes getting into relationships with people means opening up your heart to someone and sometimes when you get too close they can hurt the most, don't they? You see, the people that we love often hurt us the most because we're fully exposed. Strangers don't hurt us, but it's the people that you're closest to that can really break your heart. You'd be in a situation where someone who trusted implicitly, let you down and destroyed your confidence. The result is disappointment and regret. And regret for having trusted someone who was untrustworthy. So it would be with us if we found out today, if they went in in Israel and they dug up a grave and it says, Here lies Jesus of Nazareth, whose mother and father were Joseph and Mary, who went around preaching and doing whatever and we found him and he, had the, he still had the crucifixion marks and, and, and those sorts of things and they proved beyond a shadow of that it was him? That'd be a letdown. But the Bible says that there's much to be confident in. The Bible says that the testimony of the apostles, all those men... And as Bible says, there were five hundred of them at once. They actually saw him risen. All those great men of the faith proved that Jesus did rise from the grave because they went from cowards to courageous. They changed, and there is nothing in the world that can explain what happened. And if it wasn't true, why would they risk their lives for it? As a result of the account of this encounter with Christ, the apostles' lives were transformed from fearful and uncertain to confident and bold. We see the same story depicted in a number of people in the New Testament. Turn with me to John chapter twenty. And most of you you are aware that Jesus spent three years in ministry teaching people about the kingdom of God and and what would happen. And in many ways, he actually explained to them that he would have to die and that he would rise again from the grave. Now, here we have a situation with Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb early in the the morning. It says in verse 1, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone uh, taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus tell them or did he not that he was going to rise from the grave? Okay, so the assumption that Mary makes is that when she sees the stone, stone rolled away, what, what assumption does she make? That he's risen? No, the first assumption she makes is someone robbed him. Someone's taken, stolen the body. What am I going to do? Let me go back and tell the disciples. And she goes two miles back to the disciples and it doesn't click about this possibility he's actually risen. She goes and tells them someone's stolen the body. So these guys go, go running back to find out what's, what's going on. Isn't it interesting? That the first, thing, the first reaction is not to believe what he said. The first thing, the first thing is some natural explanation. This can't be right. Someone stole this body. The funny thing is that the actual religious leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin and the, and the, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, started spreading the same rumour around as well, when they couldn't find the body. But Jesus had repeated over and over that he would rise again on the third day, and the Sanhedrin, the, the people that crucified him, knew it. You know why they knew that he, would, that he was going to rise on the third day? That he was going to rise? Because they asked for a guard to guard the tomb and to put a seal on it by the Roman army. They knew what he said, but his own disciples actually couldn't make heads or tails of what was going on. So here we have Mary Magdalene running back, thinking they've stolen his body. How about Thomas? Thomas is another one. Jesus shows himself to all the disciples, but Thomas isn't there. So all the, when Thomas gets back to the rest of the group, the disciples all gather around him and say, Thomas, we've seen him. We've, we've seen the, the marks in his hands, we've spoken to him, we've touched him, we've felt him, we've he's, he's told us about what's what's going on. What does Thomas do? Unless I touch him myself, unless I see those those marks, I'm not going to believe it. In the Gospel of Luke, it says that the women who saw the angels and the angels told them about what had happened. It says that when they went back to the disciples, it says in Luke 24:11, and their words seemed like idle tales and they believed them not. So the women came back. They said, we've seen angels. The tomb's empty. They told us that Jesus is risen and the disciples go, no, we're going to go and see for ourselves. And even, even, when Jesus tells his disciples to meet him on a mountain in Galilee, it says there that some of them still did not believe. Some of them doubted, even though he's he's in front of them there. You know why? That's a massive shock to the system. It was like someone get up from the grave. It's not a normal thing. But we know that somehow the power of God changed these doubters into bold proclaimers. Peter went from a denier to a declarer. He boldly confessed and preached about Christ before thousands in Jerusalem. And even in the face of threats and imprisonments and beatings, Peter boldly proclaimed the truth. What was the truth? That he knew that Jesus had risen from the grave. How? He says, we've seen him. Peter was crucified as well. But the, the, um, the legend, I'm not sure of how much historical truth is in it, when they're told they're going to crucify him, he said, I don't want to be crucified the same way. And he wants to be crucified upside down. Either way, he died for his belief. Thomas went from a doubter to a believer. History tells us that Thomas became an evangelist in Persia. What happened to Thomas? In fact, he actually saw Jesus. Turn to John chapter 20, verse 6. Sorry, 20, verse 26. It says there, And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, The doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Thomas changed completely from a doubter to an evangelist who gave his life as well for the gospel. Why? Because he met Jesus. He saw Jesus alive. James went from an unbeliever to a leader in the church. He went to describe describe himself as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He also died for his faith in Christ. What happened to James? He met Jesus and experienced the power of God. And finally, Paul... Paul was a persecutor of the church. He thought it was his job to kill Christians, to get them out of the way, because this was like a bad sect that was ruining ruining it for everyone else. The Bible says that he had an encounter with God. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He met him on the road to Damascus, on the road, on the road to, uh, to some more things that he was going to do. The Bible says that his life changed at that point. Paul went to his death in Rome, preaching and declaring the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead and that they had full confidence and trust that Jesus was the Messiah whom God had sent and that he had died for the sins of the world. What changed all these men? It wasn't the death. Although they understood the death in its context, that he died for them. But it was the resurrection that changed their lives. The fact they met a living Christ, not a dead one that changed their whole view on life and it made them bold and paul says in philippians 3:10 his goal he plainly states that i may know him and the power of his resurrection paul wanted to know Christ more and more every day on a personal level but he wanted to experience that resurrection power in his own life and this paul says he wants for every believer turn to ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 wants us as believers to experience Christ on a, on a deeper level day by day. But not just to know him personally, but to experience the power that comes from this man. And he says in, in Ephesians 1.19, And what is, he wants us to know, What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead can be at work in your your life and mine. It can give us confidence. It can give us peace. It can give us power over the enemy if we allow it. If we understand. And if you have an encounter with Christ and have a relationship with Him, you know that that power, when we, when we baptize someone, do you know what that symbolizes? The Bible says that, that when you go under the water, you're actually saying you're dying with Christ under that water. And when you come up, that you've been given new life, does it not? You know the, the, the reason that we talk about being born again, the only reason we can actually have for being born again is if we first died. Did you realise that? You had to first die to be born again. Because the old one had to be nailed somewhere. It had to be taken away. And Christ took him. You see, in some strange way, 2,000 years ago, Frank was present on that cross. He took my old me. He took my old, my sinful, my no hope me. And he nailed that Frank to the cross and took him away. And when I put my faith in him, he gave me a new identity. That's why the Bible says that when a person puts their faith in Christ, they are now in Christ. You know my identity is no longer separate from God. My new identity that he gave me when I was born again exists only inside him. He took all my old rubbish. He gave me a brand new identity and in God's eyes I am in his son. I am my identity is wholly wrapped up with this risen Christ. Difficult to understand. Maybe but the reason we can be born again is because we died. We died with Christ on that cross. When Christ took my sins on that cross, the old me went. There's a perfect substitution that takes place, that took place. The perfect exchange. All my old rubbish, all my old self, my sins, my lostness, my doubts, all that stuff all went and Jesus gave me all of himself. That's what the imputed righteousness of Christ is all about. The Bible says that somehow the debt that I owed God. So imagine you had you had a, a huge debt that you could never pay off in your life. And you and you doesn't matter how hard you work, you could never pay it. Well, that's the picture of us with God. The sins that we that we commit and that we've committed have created such a debt to God that we could never pay them back. Our only hope was hell. That's it. Because that's the only place that, that people go that commit sin and have that sort of debt. But the Bible says that when Christ died on the cross, he paid my debt. So he actually brought my account back to zero again. He paid all the debt off because he paid for all my sins. But not only that, he then went and gave me himself. He gave me all the good stuff that he did. All the righteousness that God has in his son, he put into my bank account. Do you understand that? Does that that not boggle the mind? That the righteousness of Christ has been put into my account. And when God sees me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's why we can have such great confidence in salvation. Once you are in Christ, you are safe. You're safe like that family that was in that ark. And God will protect that ark and make sure it landed safely on a shore one day. God will make sure that when you are in Christ, when you accept Him as your Lord and Saviour and believe what He did on that cross for you, that He died and He rose on the third day, the Bible says that God will put you in Him. That's why we are His body on this earth and He is our head. God puts you inside Him and God shuts the door and you will safely reach your destination. Today, Jesus reveals himself in many ways to us, but he reveals himself most through his word. The word of God was specifically written so that we can have this encounter with him. We can come to know him personally. We we can come to know the one who went to the cross for us, who allowed his blood to be shed to wash away our sins, who rose again from the grave and now sits at the right hand of the Father. This same Jesus can change your life. He can give you hope where you have no hope. He can make you a believer where you are full of doubt. He can make you bold where you once feared. He can give you peace where you have turmoil. My question to you this morning is, have you ever met this man? Have you ever met him? If you haven't met him, then you need to. You need to meet him. And he stands and he waits for you to have this encounter. He's not hiding from you. In fact, he's actually calling you. And if you haven't met him yet, it's only because you're running away from him. So my invitation to you this morning is that if you haven't been transformed by this amazing man, by the one who gave himself for us, then I invite you to come and meet him. I invite you to, to put your trust in him, to believe in what he did, and who he is, that he's risen from the grave and that you can put your full confidence in him. He will never, ever let you down because he's God Almighty and he never, ever lies. Today, you can experience the power of his resurrection. By believing that Jesus died for your sins on a cross and rose again in the third day, you can experience the grace and the love of God like you never have before. And Christian... If you've lived too long in the shadow of your old self, if you've run through the world too many times that, that your life is a bit of a mess, remember who he is and that he won the victory for you. There is nothing in this world that can take away what he gave you. Only you can live in defeat. If you choose. If you have doubt, then shake the shackles of that, that doubt away. And that's self-pity. And recognise what you have in Christ and who he is to you. God desires that we walk in this power each and every day of our lives. Let's rejoice in it. God bless you. Thank you.